welcome back to the Boneyard Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jared Shaffet, along with... Artemis Brower. We're coming to you this week with episode 88-0, Artie. 20 yes, award from, from 100. Yes, sir. We, we've done a lot of this lately. Um, we've done a lot of podcasting. It, it's been great. How you doing? Better. Oh, man. How am I doing? Well, I, I'll tell you, Jared. Oh, it's great to be a Michigan Wolverine. It's great to be a Michigan Wolverine. I'm doing fantastic. Michigan is going to the college football playoff, right number two in the nation. My ECU football team is going to a bowl game. This is the best football season I've had, maybe of all time, just depending on the stipulations. So I'm feeling fantastic right now. Yeah, they're about to get worked by Georgia. <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody keeps saying that, and we keep winning. So I could care less at this point. Hey. Yeah, I mean, congratulations. I take yeah. my squad against everybody. It's If it ends up being Michigan-Cincinnati, I'm pulling for Cincinnati all the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. The, the, the same way you just said Georgia's going to work Michigan, I think Alabama's going to work Cincinnati. I, I don't just, think so. I, I Alabama. Think- We'll, Alabama got lucky. They're we'll, not we'll, that good. We'll definitely get into that, but I think Alabama is going to work Cincinnati. All righty, whatever. But uh, but great. How how was skating? You went ice skating yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, went ice skating yesterday. I did not fall. You, you I did, did not fall. I did not fall. I, now, I wasn't oh, out there, you know, actually trying to skate, skate. You know, oh, you oh a, you were, you were like you were out there looking like Bambi holding the walls, right? No, I wasn't holding the walls either. I was just out there, you know, just casually. It was a, it was a casual stroll through the park. That's what it was. It was a casual, stroll just the park. leisurely stroll through the park. I'm not out there trying to prove nothing to nobody. Uh huh. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I, there's I, no I, videos I, of me falling because I didn't fall. I, if that's I think what there's you're no for. there's no videos of you falling because. You probably deleted the videos. <laughs> it was fun though. It was a good time. Good, good. Yeah, we went we went and looked at houses yesterday, but uh nice. Nothing crazy going on. But um Artie, number eighty. Do you have you ever heard of a man named Jerry Rice? No, I've never heard of Jerry Rice. Have no possible really? idea who that could be. Yeah, I mean some some random guy that has uh over three hundred games played, uh fifteen hundred receptions over 22,000, almost 23,000 yards, uh, nearly 15 yards per reception, 197 touchdowns. I mean, yeah, he's only uh, been a 13-time pro bowler, 10-time all-pro, three-time Super Bowl champ. Uh, he was the Hall of Fame all-1980s team, Hall of Fame all-1990s team, 1987 AP Offensive Player of the Year, uh, 1987 Won the Burt Bell Award, 1983 AP Offensive Player of the Year. Um, more number 80 for every team he played for, most notably the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so, yeah. So you're, so, you're, so you're saying he was kind of good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, could you tell me where Jerry Rice went to college? He went to an HBCU. I don't remember what HBCU, but I know he went to a historically black college. Yeah, Mississippi Valley State. Uh, you know what? I wanted to say Mississippi Valley State, and I didn't do it. And I wish I would have said it now. Yep. And, I mean, so Jerry Rice, I mean, he was the, uh, let's see, what? He was 16th overall draft pick in the 1985 draft, 
which is crazy with how great he is. Well, they didn't know that back then, though. I mean, yeah, they didn't know that he was going to go on to be the greatest wide receiver in the history of football. I'm looking at it now. Let's see. Uh, now, there are two two other Hall of Famers that were picked ahead of him. Wow, who's that? Bruce Smith and Chris Dolman. Wow, two Hall of Famers picked before JRS. That's that's a class right there. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. I don't see any more Hall of Famers. Oh, no, there's one more uh, in the class. There's another one. Four Hall, of, four Hall of Famers in one class is pretty damn good. Five. That's pretty damn good. Let's see if we're, we're getting in the late rounds. Back when they had more, <laughs> back when they had twelve rounds, right? When they had about fifteen to twenty rounds. I tell you what, though, I like that we're getting to the eighties because we're getting to the wide receiver numbers. I got a lot of guys I'm about to mention in the next couple weeks. You got another number eighty? I got a, um, I got a special. I got a special. No, mention. see, I've, I've got I've got eighty one. Obviously, I've got eighty four, eighty five, eighty eight, eighty nine. Those numbers. Shout out Bryce Williams, friend of the podcast. There we go. Number eighty. But we're getting to some good numbers now. And even in the 90s, because in the 90s, I have a lot of like defensive ends, D tackles that were 90s. So we're getting to some good numbers. Yeah, we are. I got to figure out what we're going to do when we get to the hundreds. Yeah, that's going to be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be difficult. Like, do I just start over at zero? Just start back over? Yeah. Yeah, we could. I mean, why not? There's plenty of, there's plenty of athletes to go around. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, Artie. Um, getting into the thick of things. Yeah. Let's see here. Let's see. We got uh, a lot going on. We got a lot going on. A lot in college football. We know who we're playing in the bowl game finally. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to that. But let's talk about conference championship weekend. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, one of the better weekends of football in the year. You've got usually you've only got about ten games to watch, but You've got some really good games and games that are important. They, I mean, they all mean something, right? Um, so this this past weekend, it that was evident, right? Every game meant something this past weekend. Yeah. The one thing that I will say was we didn't have any of those really nail biter games that no, we didn't. We were expecting the the only one that you had was Baylor Oklahoma State. That was yeah. the only game of the day that you had. I was like, oh, oh my, my goodness. Yeah, like, Oklahoma look at that State walked the damn plank. Well, it, the, that, like me and Ashley were watching that game too. And even she like freaked out at, at the end of that game. She doesn't even get excited about football or any kind of sports. And she was like on the edge of her seat watching that last play. So, I mean, that was that was crazy. Yeah, I didn't see it live. I wish I would have. But that – because you had it from the, what, the two-yard line, you had four tries to get it in? I think they had like seven. Because because uh, Baylor got a um, a pass interference called on them, so they had like seven tries to get in. What do you like? You how do you not find two yards in seven plays? You, you got they they tried to pass. You got to run the ball seven straight times. I'm I'm gonna run the ball seven straight times. If you stop it, then good for you. I'm not passing at all. Yeah, no I way. Don't, I don't I don't get why. I mean, I don't get why. Offensive coordinators decide to pass the ball from the two-yard line. Right. Um, we're we're going to put in a halfback and a fullback combination back there. And we're going to get it done. I, I say that, and then I get all over Donnie Kirkpatrick for, you know, not, uh, <laughs> for not for not doing something other than 
you know, a QB sneak up the middle. Right. Or a QB sneak off the guard and try to get it in. But I, I don't know. Um, yeah, that that I guess that was the most like most noteworthy game after after the whole weekend. Oregon got rocked. Yeah, and, and you know Utah just has their number. I mean Utah just absolutely has their number. Had had Utah been ranked higher to start the season, Utah's probably in the college football playoff. They're probably yes, and and if they don't lose two games, you know, I mean if, if Utah doesn't yeah. lose two games, they're, they're probably in the college football playoff. So now. Now Alabama, Alabama, Georgia. That was honestly to me the most. That shocking was the biggest shock. Yes, I I agree with you. That was the absolute shock of the weekend. Alabama did something Just to Georgia, dismantling Georgia. I, they disrespect them. It was never a game. It was never close. It was and, never a game. I mean, like, it, it was it was what it was close to halftime. Yeah, I mean, okay, first quarter Georgia had like a 10-7 lead, and then once Alabama scored after that, I mean, they, Georgia never got a lead back. So at, at one point, I know it was seventeen seventeen, but yeah, after that, I mean. They they did nothing, and I I was sitting there. I was, I was in a bar uh, Saturday night, and they had the game on. I was watching the end of the Houston Cincinnati game. They had that game on also, and there's a bunch of Georgia fans there. This is in North Carolina. There's a bunch of Georgia fans there, and they were just talking so much shit about Kirby Smart, like talking about how he can't coach. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, well, well. Here's here's the thing. Kirby Smart is excellent, but at, but at some point you gotta you gotta beat Nick Saban. You can't win national championships and not beat Nick Saban. You got to do it. I mean, at, at at this point, I understand some of the scrutiny because Kirby Smart has had so many chances at the Godfather, right? I mean, Nick Saban is the Godfather. He's the Pied Piper. He's he's the guy. You've had cracks at it, and you still could not get it done. You've had the clear number one team in the nation beating everybody by a lot. Your defense is is historically great, and then you play Godfather. And you look like you don't know how to play football. So I kind of understand the criticism. You've got to get it done against the best. Yeah. And I'm blanking on his name, Bennett, the quarterback for Georgia. Uh, I mean, he just, he could not get anything going. Yeah. He was Alabama's defense. Yeah. He did. He did look absolutely terrible. And I'll also mention, I did not watch any of the Houston Cincinnati game. I didn't watch a single second of it. I wanted to. I just didn't. Um, that, I game actually, started, that game started off nice. That game started off like, oh man, like Houston's gonna Houston's gonna give it to them, and then uh, Cincinnati happened. Their defense struck. They had a pick six. Yeah, I, I mean they scored like fourteen points pretty quickly in the third quarter and put Houston to sleep. Right. I mean, that, and that that's what we've seen from Cincinnati. They they score in bunches, and they when they score, they score and. Then they they kind of step on your throat, you know. Exactly. That they, that's what they do, and so and they've got. I mean, their defense is their defense is lights out, um, Cincinnati. So it it was a good game, um, a lot of a lot of heat in that game too. I don't know if you saw, but there were three, they, there was three fights almost started before the game even started. No, I did that? not see that. No, I did not. Yeah. I did not see that at all. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, so, Artie, anything else you got from uh, you got from championship weekend? Yeah, I mean, I mean, all, all the games were basically, I mean, double digit wins outside of that Baylor Oklahoma State game. The most, the, the biggest blowout was Michigan Iowa. And to be honest with you, even as a Michigan fan, 
I really expected Iowa to keep it close. I thought it was going to be a game that went well into the fourth quarter. Um, I thought we were going to have to kind of break away late. Iowa did not give us any kind of resistance, which I appreciate. Um, but that was a, a shock to me as well, the way that we just dismantled Iowa 45-3. to three. Um, Outside of that, no, I don't, I don't really have any other takeaways other, other than that, you know, marquee matchup of Oklahoma State-Baylor, which if Oklahoma State wins that game, then what happens? I mean, yeah. Cincinnati wins and they win by 15, but then you have, you know, a, a 12 and one Oklahoma State sitting right there as well. Do you knock out Georgia or, or, or Alabama? Does Georgia get knocked out because they're not a SEC champion? What happens there? So that would have been madness. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have seen it where maybe they put a, a, a school like Notre Dame in over Georgia. I mean, Notre Dame has a stronger strength of schedule. Um, than Georgia. They but also you, only have one loss and that their loss is to Cincinnati. So Right. I mean You think you think Notre Dame would have gotten in over Oklahoma State if Oklahoma State would have won? See, that that's where I I think had we really seen some chaos. I think what would have happened was I think what it, what it would have taken for Oklahoma State to get in was Cincinnati losing. They yes. weren't going to jump them. Um okay. they weren't going to jump them with with a Cincinnati win, I don't think, but I also think that had that happened, they might've been, they might've ended up at three and, and Georgia might've fallen to four. Right. But, and then Alabama would have probably been at two Michigan at one because the, the committee, no matter how stupid it is to say, doesn't want a rematch from a conference championship game and a semifinal game. And and that's exactly why they did what they did. They made sure exactly. that Alabama and Georgia were not going to play each other again. So, because if we're being honest, I think Michigan should have been the number one overall seed. I do too. But they, I, I understand what the committee did there. I, I see what they did. I I think Michigan. I think Michigan right now is the number one team in the country. Um, but the college football playoff. They 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 watch the games. Hey, they tweeted out three times that they they're watching games that day. <laughs> the most boring looking we, we, we saw the setup like that looks so boring like get these guys some beer get them some pizza get them some wings it looked uncomfortable like it looked like they were in just a hotel room so that they right. could just be like yeah we're here it looked very it looked very and then like the tvs they had it looked like something you would set up at your house like they, they can't have it a little bit more professional than that a little bit more like set up you know what i want what i want is I want them to sit on a couch or sit on a bar stool around the bar, drinking beer, talking sports like we do here, and and then picking making their picks. I want them drunk when they're making their picks. That's what I want. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. I want them drunk. Get get these guys drunk because then hey, then they're then we might see some real shit. Like that that's what I want, Artie. I want to see some some wild uh some wild picks starting out the season at in the top four. You, you have like a you get them real drunk. Somebody says, "Yeah, you know what? We should probably put uh we should probably put rice in there. They're six and zero or whatever it is." <laughs> put put uh UTSA Texas yeah. San Antonio in there. They're undefeated. Finished thirteen yeah. and one. Um, but all right, already yeah, bowl season it's set up. It We're is ready to go. All 44 bowl matchups. Can you believe that? 44. Yeah, that, that's insane. Like, at some, like we have so many bowls 
it makes sense to expand the college football playoffs so that way we don't have mediocre teams like UNC getting into into bowl games. <laughs> um, like make it where you need seven wins to get into a bowl, not six, and use use the. Uh, I have always said that, and and then use the other bowl games for for college football playoff matchups. You should you should absolutely have a winning record to be invited to a bowl game. This is this is like a championship kind of game. Why would you be 500 and be allowed to go to a bowl game? I've always been on the the, the side of you should have a winning record. Period. Yeah. And, and, and then you know a few years ago when they had those 5 and 7 teams in, I almost wanted to boycott college football. I mean, we're we're, we're going to benefit or we're going to, you know, award teams that have a losing record. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh yeah, I I think it's insane how how they do that sometimes. And this year they didn't have enough. They had more teams than they had bowls for. There was going to be one team left off, and then they added an extra bowl last minute, so that <laughs> way, just so that team could play. <laughs> yeah, but now you've got another, you've got like a five and seven team playing in that one. Yeah, that is that it's, it's absurd. I, I hate it. I do. You you should at least be seven and five to play in a bowl game, bare minimum. Yeah. All right, Artie, let's do a top five. Okay. Outside of the military bowl and outside of the college football playoff bowls. All right. Let's do a, let's do a top five bowl games to watch. Like, you know, maybe maybe they are a New Year's six bowl um where we're watching it and it's like, okay, this is uh this is big time games that we're watching. Um yeah. outside of the military bowl, because we don't want to just be homers here. I'll let you go first. What, what's your what, what's one of your favorite bowls to watch? Um, well, look, I look, I, I love HBCUs and a okay. bowl game growing up that we always watched as a family was the Celebration Bowl. The Celebration Bowl was always something that we watched. It didn't matter who it was. The last few years, it's been A&T because they've been dominant in college football. This year, it will not be. This year is going to be Deion Sanders, Jackson, uh, Jacksonville State program yep. going up against uh, South Carolina State, I believe. Uh, in the celebration bowl. bowl, but I'm telling you that that game was always exciting. It's always fun. Um, it's it's a good game to watch. So that that would definitely be one for me if I had to say outside of your top bowls, the celebration bowl. Yeah, um, I would say one of my favorite to watch is uh, what is it the the Poinsettia Bowl? I think it's yeah, so, Point Poinsettia. It's, uh, it, it's it's named something else this year. It's the uh, Holiday Bowl, I believe. That's not in San um, Diego, right? Yeah, that that's uh, NC State's playing in that one, I believe. Okay, I'm I'm trying to find who they're playing. Let's see. Holiday, yes, the Holiday Bowl, UCLA, NC State, UCLA is about to get their ass kicked. Um. All right. Next up, what's your what's your second pick? Oh, we'll do man. top three. Well, you know what? Okay. If we're going to do top three, or or we can one, do top five, we we can do top five. I, don't, I mean, either way, I do. I do personally. I love the Fiesta Bowl. I've, Fiesta the Bowl. Fiesta Bowl is always crazy. It's always a matchup of two teams that usually don't play each other a lot, and it's just madness. Like it's just it's it's craziness. Ever since the beginning of it, and it just always feels like one of those fun kind of bowl games that you enjoy. Like both teams really enjoy playing the Fiesta Bowl for some reason. Um, so that would definitely be number two for me, Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I think uh, the Fiesta Bowl is a good one. It's going to be an interesting game this year. Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's going to be good. 
a battle of the what ifs. That's gonna be real good. Um, you, you can't go wrong with like the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean the Rose Parade, Rose Bowl. This year it's gonna be a good game. Also, um, Ohio State Utah. That's that's an interesting matchup. That is um, interesting. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, playing in uh playing in the Coliseum. Has the, uh, has has Utah ever played in the uh, Rose Bowl? I'm not sure. And I said they're playing I, the Coliseum. They're playing in the Rose Bowl, of course. Duh. <laughs> Jared is. I'd be interested to know if they've if they've ever played in the Rose Bowl. I don't I don't know if they have. I don't really know the history of Utah like that, but I know Ohio State's right. playing about thirty of them. You keep talking, I'll uh the you the Utes have never played, have never been to the Rose Bowl. Wow. Yep. Well, you know what? You know who I'm going for. I'm hoping Utah wins that game by a lot. So any 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 chance Ohio State can lose, I'm gonna cheer for that team. Ohio State's first 10 bowl games were in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, they played in like 30 of them. I'm telling you, they played in so many damn Rose Bowls. So is Michigan. But I feel like I, I feel like the team I always remember is like Penn State. Penn State, USC, obviously. The USC well, has probably yeah. played in like 50. UCLA. So, yeah, UCLA is another one. But all right, well, number three. Who will my number three bowl be? We'll do top five. We got we got enough for top five. I'll tell you what, my one of my personal favorites also is the Alamo Bowl. I I okay. I, I always love watching the Alamo Bowl because because it's a matchup of two teams that were almost right there. Like it's it's two teams that could have made the playoff or two teams that could have played for a BCS national championship. This is an they, interesting one, yeah. Yeah, but but they just lost one or two games and they didn't get there. Like even this year, you have Oklahoma, Oregon. That's yeah. an interesting matchup. You've got two schools where both their coaches just left them high in water. Mario Cristobal is going to Miami. You know, Lincoln Riley's we'll talk about down that in, in a little bit. Right. Lincoln Riley's down in USC. So, I mean, these are going to be two pissed off programs trying to get a, 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 a signature win to end their season. The Alamo Bowl is always a, a, a good game to me because it's two teams that felt like they should have been in the finale, but they just couldn't get there. Yeah. I, I, I think that's spot on. Um, one of the games that I always look forward to is, is like the, the cheese it bowl. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it called something else. I can't remember what it used to be called. Um, but that's one of those games where like you, you flip it on. It's like the middle of the afternoon, late afternoon, usually around five thirty, six o'clock. Mm-hmm. And you just flip it on and hang out for a little bit, watch some football, some, usually some pretty good teams. Uh, this year's Clemson Iowa State, December 29th. So yeah, that that's one of those games comes on right before the uh, right before the Alamo Bowl. Um, nice. So yeah, that's gonna be an, that's also an interesting game. I think yeah. Iowa State wins that game. You said it was Iowa State, and you said Clemson. Clemson? Mm. Uh, look, you know Clemson just lost their de- defensive coordinator, so I I could see Iowa State winning that game in an upset because I know Clemson's going to be favored. Let's see what uh, else. What else we got? What else we got? This is pick four. Pick number four. Let me go. Um, let I'll me go Gator it. Bowl. Okay. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go Gator Bowl pick number four. That's another one of those matchups that you know usually has two teams that were pretty good during the season. They wanted to fight for something more, but you know they have bumps in the road. This year is Wake Forest and Texas A&M. That should I mean I don't I don't know if they've ever played each other. Wake Forest and Texas A&M. So that's gonna be interesting to watch right there. Out of Jacksonville, Florida. I know you know that that's one of those bowl games that we have had the pleasure. East Carolina's had the pleasure to play in. Uh, sadly, we lost that Gator Bowl uh, to the Gators, but we have played in that bowl game, so that would be my number four. Yeah, all right. Um, I'd be remiss if I said if I didn't say the Peach Bowl. Uh, be, being an Atlanta sports fan, and then also, I mean, thinking about about uh, ECU's massive upset of NC State in the Peach Bowl so many years yeah. ago. Uh, I mean, that that's always a game that. I mean, it's always interesting. It's, it's played on the biggest stage. It's one of those games that when you say, oh, the Peach Bowl, like everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows what you're talking about. So, uh, so yeah, I'll say the Peach Bowl. Peach Bowl. Okay. Let's see. What would be my number five? You actually kind of took – because I was thinking about the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. You know what? Number five, let's go ahead and get, get it back to New Year's Six. Let's go Sugar Bowl. Okay, yeah. That, that's going to be a good game this year. Yeah, down there in the Superdome, New Orleans, Louisiana. The Sugar Bowl is always kind of an underrated game, but it's usually always pretty good. That that's been a, a game that's been a college football semifinal um in the past. There's gonna be Baylor Ole Miss. That's probably gonna be a lot of points scored in that game uh this this year. I think Ole Miss might take it, to be honest with you. I, I think Lane Kiffin has those guys ready. I think Ole Miss is gonna take that one. But the Sugar Bowl is always a good bowl game to watch. So that would probably definitely be my number five. Yeah, and then rounding it out, I mean, I I always, I mean, let's see. There's not any, like, games that stick out. The game that I'm excited about watching this year is the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Yeah, down there in Charlotte, baby. I, I mean, as much as I hate Carolina – both of them, north and south. Uh, yeah, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, it's going to be fun. They've done a hell of a job marketing it, so yeah. And, uh, and thought, the, go is, ahead. Is that, is that North Carolina versus South Carolina? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. That, that's actually – that's they, Both they teams, knew, six and six. Yeah, they knew what they, they were doing. They, they understood exactly the assignment. They, were doing. Yes, they, they got the assignment right. <laughs> they definitely did. In Charlotte, too, yeah, they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, now I would have loved for EC to play in that game, but yeah, it's surprising we don't have more bowl games here in North Carolina. Well, where would they be though? I mean, you got plenty of bowl games that are on college campuses. I mean, because you got, I mean, I could see Chapel Hill and I could see Carter Finley. Um, we Why would be the only, we, yeah, I mean, we we'd be the only ones because of capacity. I mean, you have to have a stadium that seats at least fifty thousand plus. So yeah. But no, you you don't because I mean you look at the Myrtle Beach Bowl that's in Conway okay. where yeah, Coastal yes, Carolina Conway. plays they have like thirty thousand twenty seven thousand or something like that. You're right. You're right. So, um, I mean, I think I believe the Cheese It Bowl is in the Bounce House. Um, we'll be playing in Navy Marine Corps Stadium again. But then you also got to think about accommodations too. Accommodations, hospitality restaurants, leisure, all the other stuff goes into already how much how much of that do you think do you think is in uh Boise, Idaho? 
<laughs> I mean, look, Boise, Boise is a Boise the capital of Idaho. Yeah, but it's Idaho. Yeah, but but still, but I mean, Boise is the capital. So I mean, that's the one city that's gonna have how much? The hotels how much of that do you think is in Montgomery, Alabama? Montgomery's not that small either. It's not small. It's not big, but it's not small. Small. I'm just saying Greenville. I, I see what you're saying, but outside yeah. of Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, I don't know if that city can actually hold well, a whole no. game. No, it can't. Yeah, but but like Raleigh and, and Chapel Hill could. Oh yeah, absolutely. Raleigh for sure, hands down. G- it, give it, me it, a it bowl game. Be. Give me a bowl game. ECU Carolina in Carter Finley. In Carter Finley. <laughs> <laughs> Drew- Inject that directly into my veins, especially um, when it's on a year that like NC State misses a bowl game. <laughs> whoever wins has to plant the flag right in the middle of the field. We just get we just get to paint. They have to paint the field, the team's color the whole next year. <laughs> That'd be that. That honestly would be fantastic. Give it to me. Hey, we're here. We're putting it. We're calling it now. It'll be called the Boneyard Podcast Bowl. <laughs> In Carter Finley Stadium. Carter Finley Stadium. All right, Artie. Um, moving along. So yeah, uh, the college football playoff is set. Yep. Um, Alabama versus Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas, uh, New Year's Eve, and then in the Orange Bowl, Michigan versus Georgia. Um, that these are going to be two two great games. I think this is going to be the best playoff we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's parody. I mean, we we finally got some parody. We got some new faces outside of Alabama. I mean, even Georgia, I think, has only made it to one playoff. So, I mean, we, we we've got some fresh faces. We've got some people that I have not been there before, and I think they're going to be hungry. I think it's going to be competitive games. I don't think, you know, once you get to this point, and I know we've seen blowouts in the past, but I, I really feel like you know, I I, I agree with you. I, I think these teams and this year's playoff is going to be a little different, and it might be a lot closer. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about it. And I, I want to see Cincinnati. I want to see Cincinnati and see how they stack up. I mean, maybe they do get blown out. Maybe they do. I don't think it I don't think that's what happens. I watching the Cincinnati team, knowing how they play. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people are gonna be uh interested in, in seeing and how, how big would that be if a power six team takes down Alabama, number one in the country. Takes down Alabama, right? Pretty much right in the heart of of Roll Tide Country. The whole South basically is right. I mean, maybe not so much in Texas, but they travel. So yeah, I mean, I want I want to see a bunch of Cincinnati fans show out, and and I'm pulling for Power Six. I know y'all are leaving us after that after this weekend or after that weekend. I'm done with y'all. Um, maybe during the championship weekend if y'all make it, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll pull for Cincinnati, but. Yeah, it's. I, I gotta say, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm excited about this. this. This is good. This is what college football needs, and and this is hopefully leading into the right direction of, of college football playoff expansion. Yeah, I, I think it directly. I think this season and all the madness and the craziness that is going on. I think this is directly going to lead to more conversations about expansion. Everybody is is clamoring for it. Everybody wants it. We need it. Um, and and you know. Cincinnati, if, if they were to go on to beat Alabama, um, that would be the greatest thing to ever happen to the power five, or not power five, but the group of five. Um, oh, yeah. 
on the biggest stage? Yeah. Ever. Like, like, like there is no bigger moment. Boise State beating Oklahoma was like the, the, the appetizer. But Cincinnati beating Alabama in a semifinal to go to the Natty, that is the best thing to ever happen to the group of five. So it, it's, it's huge. And it, it would go a long way in further letting the committee and everybody and the powers that be know we need expansion. All right. Cincinnati did what they had to do. They went on a national stage. They beat Alabama. We need expansion. So if you're a college football fan, the only people that should be rooting for Alabama are Alabama fans. Everybody else in the country should be rooting for Cincinnati because a Cincinnati win does college football justice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Outside of Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia fans, that that makes everybody else happy. Right. It, it opens the door for everybody else. And who knows? I mean, three years from now, we could be talking about ECU winning a conference championship and being a a lock to the college football playoff in a 12-team playoff. I, I tell you, I tell you what, it's it's almost foreshadowing, but ECU has set them up in a, in, a, in a real good position because you know we got Michigan in 2023. Oh yeah, and Michigan's not going anywhere. They're going to be a good program in 2023. ECU could also be a very good program in 2023. They go into the big house and they win that game and and pull off a, a similar Cincinnati by going into Notre Dame and winning that game, and then they go undefeated and win a conference championship. Yes. We could absolutely be talking about an East Carolina team that could go to the playoff, but that's neither here nor there. That's in the future. We're not going to get on that right now, but it's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of a lot of good things that can happen over the next couple of years already. And I mean, hopefully, college football playoff expansion is done by 2023. I'm expecting it to be done by 2024. But right. what that'll do is it, it'll allow for It'll allow for the top six. Um, it'll allow for at least the top six conference champions to make it to be a, a automatic bid into the into the college football playoff, and then uh, that, that's all you need. Win a college, win win your conference in 2023, 2024, That's all you need, and that that's that'll happen eventually here at ECU. Right. Um. All right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this this bowl game we got uh, versus Boston College, Annapolis, Maryland. Um, real quick, Artie, what are your thoughts on the on the matchup? Um, you know, not a sexy matchup. We all said that when it when it came out, not the matchup that we thought we were going to have. You know, we thought we were going to have a Virginia Tech or Carolina or a Louisville, some sort of ACC opponent, but not named Boston College. Um, it's to me, it's a great opportunity for us to get a win because Boston College is not great. I've always said that Boston College is one of those schools. It's like, why do you play football? You know, you never really have that great of a program. But I get it. You got the money. You've got every now and then they have a decent basketball team. Every now and then they send a, a random Matt Ryan or a Luke Keekley to the NFL draft, and they're going to be have a Hall of Fame career. So Boston College kind of stays in that kind of medium to where they're almost relevant, but they're not relevant. So – it's, it's a good opportunity, I think, for East Carolina to beat an ACC opponent in a bowl game and start off next year right. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I, I think th- this we'll, – and we'll be breaking it down more over the next couple of weeks. We got right. 
We got several weeks to talk about one game, Marty. Exactly, and, um, and and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna study Boston College. I'm gonna look back and see what kind of season they really had, and their coaches and their players, and like this, that, and the third. So we're already we're already setting up preview interviews, and uh, we we got some pretty cool interviews lining up right now uh, to to prepare us for for the first bowl game in the Boneyard Podcast era of ECU football. Yes, sir. Uh, so yes. So yes, we are we are ready to do it. Um, well, Artie, let's. Uh, we got we haven't even mentioned it. We got Stephen Igo on the podcast. He he'll be joining us. Uh, right now, actually, let let's uh let's get, throw it over to Stephen and uh let, let's talk to him about some recruiting. Let's do How's it. that sound? All right, here it is, Stephen Igo on the Boneyard Podcast. Once again on the Boneyard Podcast this week, we are pleased to be joined for a third time by none other than uh, than the main guy himself in, in ECU media. Uh, he he writes for Hoist the Colors. He he has the what is it? The Hoist the Colors podcast now, twenty four seven sports. Stephen Igo, how you doing, man? Doing good, guys. Glad to be back on the podcast and looking forward to talking uh, ECU athletics, bowl game, recruiting, whatever you guys want to hit. So uh, appreciate you guys having me back on. It's hard to believe it's already the the third time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're one of our first guests that we had on uh, back like episode six, episode seven. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I really – first I want to get into is last week was a big week. Uh, Coach Houston gets his extension. Uh, five years, eleven and a half million dollars. Um, what do you what do you think? I mean, with with uh, the early signing period coming up in the, in the next week or so, what do you how what impact does that have in recruiting? I think it has a pretty significant impact, more so in terms of holding the class together. You know, you have some guys in this class who are taking other visits. One of them, unfortunately, in Caleb Webb, just just decommitted and probably, you know, is going either Tennessee or Michigan. I would still say Tennessee. But, you know, I, I think holding that class together and kind of just putting the the rumors to bed was the main thing because you don't want guys lingering or asking questions and then not being able to really answer them. And I think Coach Houston is a pretty honest, straightforward guy. I don't think he was ever close to even really entertaining another job. You know, he may have been on some list or whatever, but this has been in the works since the Navy game seriously in terms of, you know, it was talked about after the Memphis game, after the Navy win, ECU knew it had to get something done. So, you know, this class has been together since the summer, basically. Uh, You kind of get this done, and I think they can all breathe, relax a little bit. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. And then for the future, you can say that you've got your coach locked up through 2026. Now, realistically, we all know that just because you signed an extension – long-term doesn't mean you're actually going to be at that school forever. I mean, heck, Mike Houston signed a 10-year extension at James Madison, and then he took the East Carolina job the next offseason. So I think it's more about the short-term, uh, shoring up this class, but you can also use it as a long-term pitch as well. You know, I go speaking of Caleb Webb, what factors do you think went into him decommitting, and do you think that might affect any other recruits going forward? You know, I I don't think it it'll necessarily affect oh, I guess fault. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. So so always blame me. I'll take the blame. Um, but no, nah, man, it's I don't think it'll affect any other guys. I mean, there are a couple other guys from Georgia who are close to him, like Zakai Barker. And those guys were actually from my point of view or talking to them, they were really trying to get him to stay. And 
Yeah. You know, they're ha- happy for Caleb. You know, they're not going to be mad at, at one of their friends or one of their fellow commits for entertaining Michigan and Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, ECU did everything it could to try and keep him. You know, they had a good plan. The plan was to, you know, they got him in for the Cincinnati game, which was important uh, because, you you know, he had already taken Louisville, Michigan, a couple other visits, South Carolina, a couple others. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to get him back, get him home, so to speak. And they did that, but then he visited – he's visiting Tennessee, and he, he did that this past weekend. It was just going to be tough for him to go to Tennessee, see all the bells and whistles, and stay committed to ECU. And that's kind of what I feared. And the plan for ECU was to send Mike Houston in for his in-home visit the night before the uh, the recruiting period ends later this month. So basically the last time he can see a coach in person, Coach Houston is going to go visit him, try and keep him committed. Unfortunately, he and his family made the decision to decommit and basically, you know, his final three, I think, right now is Tennessee, Michigan, and Louisville. Uh, it is kind of disappointing if you're ECU. You get the commitment since the summer. You're the first to discover them, and then you're not in your your final three or whatever. But that's just how it goes. Um, you know, it stinks. But in this day and age, man, he could be like Jakari Caldwell, the South Carolina receiver who mm-hmm. was committed to ECU forever, and then he flipped – to South Carolina, and now he's in the portal two years later and looking wow. for a home. So, yeah. who knows, man? It's you still keep the relationship with the kid. It's just unfortunate how it worked out. Now, looking at the recruiting class, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of needs on ECU's team. They've they've taken great strides to to get better over the years. But uh, who what who are some of the guys that you're looking at in this class that can come in and make almost an immediate impact? You know, so it's a good question. I, I to me, I think ECU's program is at the point where they don't really need to rely on a on a freshman to come in and make an immediate impact. You remember the the first year of Coach Houston? I mean, there were so many true freshmen playing key key roles. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those guys had obviously committed to Coach Mo, but many of them, you know, signed with Coach Houston and ended up staying with Coach Houston after the coaching change. But so many of those guys, whether it be Jaquan McMillan, Malik Fleming, whoever, they were all playing as true freshmen. I think the program now is in a good point, and you can see it with the 2021 class, where all those guys, for the most part, are going to be able to come in and redshirt. And I think it'll be much of the same way with 2022. I mean, they do have a Juco kid committed in Siobhan Rebel. Uh, but I look at the, the rest of this commitment list – and I think you're at the point now where, where you're ECU. You should be able to redshirt most of these guys, develop most of these guys. Like a Jamarion Franklin, he's kind of a, a project on the edge out of South Carolina. But you give him two years in a weight room, uh, he's a basketball standout. He's got natural athleticism, natural length, bend. You give him time to develop, he could be a guy. Samuel Donka at a Fork Union, 6'4", 210. He could add 30, 40 pounds in two years. So most of these guys, I think, will, will redshirt and develop, you know, the, the thing that I think you'll see over this week and over the coming weeks is I think you'll see the transfer portal really heat up for ECU, some JUCO guys visiting. They're really going to try and add immediate impact guys to close out this class at key spots like O-line, receiver, edge rusher. Those are going to be the guys I think you see making immediate impact next year. Gotcha. You know, as, as the team currently stands – who is Steven Igo's MVP of the offense and MVP of the defense for this season? I think he got to go MVP of the offense, Keaton Mitchell. I, I just feel like he was he was so electric this year. 
so impactful. He made so many game-changing plays. It's, you know, you can't underestimate his impact. And, and there are so many pieces beyond Keaton, but just his ability to change a game and teams have to game plan for him every single week. Mm-hmm. I think he's got to be the MVP. I mean, you can make a fair argument for Holt Nailers and Tyler Sneed, but Keaton Mitchell, in my opinion, uh, he's got to be number one. Uh, defensively, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys who deserve praise. I mean, a, a ton of guys played big minutes, but how can he not go to Quan McMillan? Uh, I, I just think he was so good, so consistent from day one. You know, didn't have his best game against Cincinnati, but he also played the last three games of the year with a you know sprained ankle or ankle injury. So I think McMillan is is a guy who's as good as any corner that I've seen at ECU in a long time. And I think those two guys were kind of the heart and soul on both sides. It's interesting because both of them are kind of quiet in terms of if you interview them for media purposes or whatnot. But, uh, man, they're great players, and I think we'll, we'll see them play in the NFL one day. You know, speaking of Jaquan, do you think he got snubbed? You know, that's – like, personally, how can you not have Jaquan McMillan first team? Yeah. Like, he he's a first-team cornerback. It's just – you know, it's tough because the Cincinnati corners are freaking legit too. I mean, that's what sucks about it. And, unfortunately, like, you can't do this, but, honestly, there should have been – been three first-team corners like Ahmad Gardner. The dude's never given up a touchdown in his career. He's played three years, so like it's hard to say Ahmad Gardner's not a first-team corner. And then Kobe Bryant, uh, C O B Y, not you know not the Kobe yeah. we're familiar with. <laughs> Kobe, um, <laughs> he uh, he uh, he actually had a better year in terms of like Pro Football Focus graded him out better, and he's a Jim Thorpe Award semifinalist or, or finalist. So he's one of the final three corner DBs in the Amer- in America. So. You know, to me, like there, there are three first-team corners. Unfortunately, you can't do it like that. And they were, and the Americans are always going to give Cincinnati the most hype or pub or whatever. So, you know, it is what it is. So, I go. Uh, Whole Nailers earlier this week or on Saturday announced he's coming back for another year. Uh, a lot of people thought, hey, he might he might leave for the draft. Um, might consider transferring. I didn't think either of those were really an option this year. What what do you know about Mason Garcia and his role? I know you put I know you put out a blog about it uh, a couple days ago. Everything that I'm hearing right now is is Mason Garcia plans to come back. Now we all know everything can change in, in a matter of days. I mean, what we report on Wednesday or whatever can easily change by Thursday. This day and age in college football, but you know, I thought it was interesting. Coach Houston made it a point to reference the entire quarterback room in his first answer and multiple answers uh, after the Ehlers decision. So I don't think that was – I think that was by design. Uh, I think he knows – yeah, it's great to have Holton back for another year, A. Um, but he can easily – you know, if you lose Garcia or whatever, you lose Stubblefield, whoever, you know, then you're one hit away from – playing a different quarterback. So you got to have somebody else ready. And we know Ehlers has been banged up, been playing banged up throughout most of his career. So, I mean, you're always one hit away. You always got to have that guy ready to go. And they really want Mason to be the future. And it's kind of a tough situation to juggle because you look at next year's team, how could you not want an experienced quarterback coming back who, you know, I know Holton Ehlers takes a lot of flack, but when the guy has time, when when the players around him play well, He's a pretty damn good quarterback. And if, if people can't see that, then, 
you know, I think that they just need to watch more football. But uh, when he has time to throw the offensive line, give him time, the receivers make catches, the running backs run well, he's a pretty damn good quarterback. So how can you not want that guy back with so much experience coming around him? You kind of know what you have in Holton. Yeah, is Mason Garcia's upside probably bigger than Holton Aylers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can say that. But the downside is you don't know what you're getting. You know, upside is only potential. And until it's fulfilled, it's hard for a coach to say, hey, let's move out this experience piece and let's bring in this this raw freshman or raw sophomore and kind of see where he can take us. So, um, you know, I, I think it is a tricky situation to handle, but I think Mason, as of now, is planning to return. And I would expect ECU to try and redshirt him next year if, if Holton's healthy for the entire year because then he could theoretically go into 2023 at Michigan as your first, uh, you know, as your first start in terms of being the full-time guy, that's a pretty good selling point for, for Mason. And he could have three years of eligibility remaining. Now kind of, kind of get into this bowl game a little bit. I go, what's your initial thought on matching up with Boston college in the military bowl this season? Um, you know, I'm still diving into BC, but I was, I'm not gonna lie. I was disappointed. I wanted the Hokies. I wanted Virginia tech and I, I wanted Whit Babcock to have to uh, to shake in his boots over I, the Pirates. I had, e- I had an email typed up to try to get Whit Babcock on the podcast. <laughs> I knew was, that was gonna, wasn't going to happen. I was going to try so hard. <laughs> Man, it, it would have been sweet. It would have been it would have been some sweet justice to see those two oh, teams play. Yeah, win. but maybe. Uh, Maybe next year in the in the Fenway Bowl they can match up or something. But uh, no, nah, it's it, you know it, it's it's a unique matchup. ECU's never played Boston College, so I think once you kind of got past, oh, we're not playing UNC or Virginia Tech, you could still get excited for the game. I mean, you're still playing the ACC team. Yeah, it's not a sexy one, but at the end of the day, you're playing a new opponent on a national stage. You're in your first bowl game in seven years. If you can't get excited about that, I don't right. know, you know what you're doing. So. Um, and BC, I mean, they got – you know, just looking over their roster, they got some dudes, man. Their offensive line, they got two or three NFL prospects, two or three first-team uh, first all-conference guys. In the secondary, they're pretty good. Their defensive front, solid. They got a wide receiver, Zay Flowers, who's going to be an NFL draft pick. Their quarterback, who announced he's coming back, he'll probably be a, a future NFL draft pick. So, this is you know, this BC team's no slouch. They've been kind of beat up this year. I think it'll be a good matchup. Two pretty good defenses going at it. You know, you got some explosive playmakers on both sides. So I think once we get to the game and get closer to the game, should be honestly a pretty even matchup. I think it should be a good game on the 27th in Annapolis. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those games that, like, it doesn't stand out to you before, but you, if you flip it on, if you're not a Boston College or an East Carolina fan, you flip it on and you're like, oh, wow, this is like this is a really good game going on. So that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, and it's not a bad TV window. I I don't know if it's the only game on the 27th, but I know I think it kind of is a standalone game leading into Monday Night Football. So I feel like most people have that day off of work. You should get a good amount of eyeballs. It's another chance for East Carolina to put itself on a national stage and you know put, put itself back on people's map. I mean, there are just so many people who are fringe college football fans that probably turned on the game versus Cincinnati and said, oh, yeah, like I remember when East Carolina used to be pretty good. In football, and, and maybe that same group of people turns on the bowl game, gets more familiar with ECU, you win that game or you find a way to play well, 
and you start to kind of build that following, that national relevance again. So it is a very important game for the program. Now, now I go kind of switching gears a little bit. I want to talk a little basketball with you because ECU just beat Gardner Webb. Uh, we improved to seven and two. How do you feel about the team this early in the season and 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 going forward? What do you what do you think ECU basketball can do this year? For me, ECU basketball, the most important thing they've done is they are beating the teams they should beat. And I don't want any ECU fan to take that for granted because I've seen so many games in Menji's Coliseum, so many crappy games inside that Coliseum where ECU has found a way to lose. Yep. I don't care. If, yep. yeah, I don't care if they're playing Coppin State and they need a buzzer beater to win. Yeah, it kind of is it's kind of sad when you think about it, but just find a way to win, man, and get out of there. And that's what they're doing. And they, they, they should – I'm not going to say they should have beat Oklahoma, but they should have beaten Davidson. They outplayed Davidson and just kind of gave that one away. They could have beaten Oklahoma. And Oklahoma right now is, I think, number 34 in the net. So what you've done is you, you, you've lost close to the teams you theoretically should have lost to. You've beaten the teams you should have beaten. If they can continue this through the rest of non-conference play, you know, you'll at least be 9-3 and three going into conference. Uh, the, the one game is Liberty and Charlotte. Liberty's they've beaten Missouri. Um, they've beaten some good teams. They're an NCAA tournament team most years, so that'll be a, another test. But you should go into to conference play with a with a good record, and then you really find out what you have. So, I think the the the, the unfortunate thing is Winston Tabs, who they brought in as a really good scorer from Boston College. It looks like unfortunately he's going to miss the year, or at least most of it. Uh, with an injury. And if you could add another score to Tristan Newton and some of the other pieces, I think you could really have something. But with tabs out, I just worry about them scoring uh, consistently in conference play. And then the defense has been inconsistent. It was really good against Gardner-Webb, the best we've seen. The rebounding and post-presence have also been inconsistent. And when you get into the American man, you, you face some absolute dudes in the paint, and it's just going to be a battle. So they got to continue improving, but I'm encouraged by the early start. Uh, when ECU basketball is seven to two, I don't care if they're playing whoever. You know, I'll, I'll take a seven to two basketball team after some of the terrible, humiliating uh, losses. <laughs> oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. All right, I go. We we do have some uh, some Twitter questions. Um, some of these we've already kind of covered, but uh, we'll we'll go through them if that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, let's see. Friend of the podcast, Brandon Avery. He says progress he's seen in Garcia this year and how the QB room will look next season. I think you've already answered that, but uh, what have you seen in, in Garcia's progress? You know, the he got such little game reps, it's hard to say, like game progress. But, you know, I, I did see him extensively in one of the scrimmages in preseason camp. And the thing I noticed most was in those scrimmages, he looked much more comfortable going through his progressions, going through his reads, and just looked much more comfortable in the offense. Now – we, we never really got to see him run the offense in a game. I mean, the only time he was close was against Temple. They let him throw it, and quite honestly, he just made a bad throw. I don't know if that was nerves or what, but he looked much more comfortable in the scrimmage I saw. Like, he was actually going through his reads, dumping the ball off to the running back. He still needs work. You know, I still think ultimately for him, he needs a full offseason of number one reps. And the good thing is this offseason – yeah, he's not going to be getting all the number one reps. But with Holton Aylor's experience, you can basically, I mean, to be honest, sit him out half a spring practice and he'll be he'll be fine. You almost say, hey, Mason, we're going to give you number one reps. 
these days and let you grow from it. That way you're even more prepared if you have to go in and for the future. So uh, he just needs to continue to get work. The coaching staff realizes that he has progressed. Uh, he just needs to keep progressing. And the only way he does that is by seeing, uh, you know, as many live bullets as possible. All right. Next question. Do you expect the early signing period to be the big one as it's been trending? Or, and then they say, are we good in, are we in good position to land some impact offensive linemen and a safety to replace Ford and, and Saba? Uh, those, those two groups seem like the areas to address via transfers. Um, so the first one, yeah, the, the, the December signing period will be the big one. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that it's, it's always ever since they instituted it, it's been the big one for every school to be the big one for ECU. You know, the transfer portal thing has kind of changed it a little bit. Cause like some schools announce the transfer signings as part of the class. Some schools just take their commitments and then announce them when they get to campus. So I don't know how exactly EC will handle that. Uh, I do know that they're, they're looking basically at every solid transfer offensive lineman that enters the portal. And and the, the unfortunate thing is every other school in America is doing the same thing, but the pirates should be much more attractive from a, you know, sales pitch standpoint, having actually won some football games last year, you know, you're trying to sell, we've had six straight losing seasons. So we're trying to turn this thing around. Now you can actually say, sell, Hey, we went seven and five. We're doing this. We got 21, you know, 19, 20 starters coming back. We need you to step in and play offensive tackle, you know, protect our fifth-year quarterback, get us to a conference championship. Oh, that just sounds so much better than, hey, we went three and six, but we should have beat Tulsa. We should have beat Navy. We should have been five and four, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's just a much easier sales pitch. So offensive line, uh, they're hitting wide receiver. I think there is a, a major emphasis on on receiver to get kind of a difference maker to go along with Tyler Sneed, TJ Johnson, and then the other big position is, is edge rusher. They're trying to find, if possible, a guy off the edge that can just wreck a game pass rush-wise. And, again, along with offensive tackle, that's probably the hardest position to recruit because there are just not a lot of those guys out there. And then another question is, is there somebody that we're targeting now that that uh, might be able to replace Caleb Webb in, in this year's class that's not already committed? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, you know, the interesting thing with this time of year is with the transfer portal, the coaches are very strategic in in what information gets out there until a guy is committed because, A, they don't want somebody else to come steal a recruit, and, B, they don't want to upset anybody on the roster now. If you're a younger receiver and you're saying, hey, how do I get more snaps, you don't want to hear that they're recruiting a guy to come in. So it's been tough to get that information, but one guy that I think that ECU is, is kind of on and I know they were on Emory Simmons, who's the North Carolina transfer, but he just committed to Indiana last night. Uh, Jaden Blue is a name to watch out of Temple. Thousand-yard receiver earlier in his career. You know, you had the Aaron Jarman connection. You have some uh, other connections. I want to say he's from Maryland, so he's a little bit closer to home if he comes to ECU. Um, he's a guy to watch. They've also reached out to a, a number of other receivers in the portal. I have very little doubt they'll be able to get a, a good receiver. If you get Blue somehow – you know that would uh, that would quickly elevate your entire receiving corps because he's a big time talent. But um, I definitely think that they've got a number of guys in mind. It's just a matter of who they're going to be able to bring in. And then uh, one of the last questions is: 
with more money available for coordinators, uh, when do we move on from Donnie Kirkpatrick? I don't think that happens yet. Man, I can't do a I can't do a podcast, whether it be with you guys or my own podcast, without being asked about Donnie Kirkpatrick. Uh, <laughs> it's honestly amazing. Look, I uh, I get it, man. People people for whatever reason they always need somebody to hate on. Yeah, they need somebody to blame, somebody to hate on. And if it's not Holton Aylers, it's Donnie Kirkpatrick. Yep. If it's not Donnie Kirkpatrick, it's Holton Aylers. Um, so I, I don't know enough about football to, I've never been a coach, you know, I obviously watch a ton of games. I watch film. I try to try to know as much about the game as possible, but you know, to me, it comes down to ECU statistically had an above average offense this year. They're, they're 39th in total offense. They're 55th in scoring offense. They ran the ball at a pretty high level. You had a thousand yard receiver or running back, excuse me, you had an 860-yard receiver. Uh, you had a solid quarterback play. So, like, statistically, honestly, the offense, most of the stats are better than where the defense stands. Now, the eye test, you can look at the offense and you can say something doesn't look right some of the time. Uh, and I think a lot of that, to me, is comes back to the offensive line. Pro football focus rates, ECU's pass protection among the 10 worst teams in America – no matter who your play caller is, it's tough to scheme when you're giving up pressures in two seconds against a four-man rush and they're dropping seven, eight in coverage. So, uh, you know, I, I think the offense <clears throat> was solid this year. For me, it comes down to, you know, Mike Houston's got to make the decision that, hey, what we're doing now offensively, you can upgrade, you know, A, can we get enough of the upgrades on the offensive line to take that next step? If we can't, do we need to change what we're doing to take that next step? You know, that's something Coach Houston's got to decide. Um, I think Donnie Kirkpatrick is a good offensive coordinator. I think he, you know, he yeah, he makes some some bad play calls, uh, just like Blake Carroll at times makes some bad play calls. Uh, just like I probably tweet some dumb stuff sometimes. Uh, we all make mistakes or whatever, tweet, but I, I think – We tweet dumb stuff yeah. all the time. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, so um, – but, you know, does an evaluation need to be made? Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, and if, if Coach Houston decides that to take the next step, become a conference championship contender, a legitimate one, you know, to make an offensive change, then I'm sure he will do it. He won't hesitate to do it. Maybe the change is not at OC. Maybe it's at a position coach on offense or whatever. Maybe it's O-line, receiver, I don't know. You know, that's something he's got to decide. And he won't shy away from making that change if he thinks that's what it takes. So at the end of the day, it's cliche, but I trust in Coach Houston. The other factor of this is, with so much coming back offensively, do you really want to put them in a brand-new system and kind of risk that transition? So that can go one of two ways. A, that transition could take, again, everybody to the next level, get guys in better positions to make plays. Or B, it could backfire. You look at Tulane, they got a new offensive coordinator. Granted, he went to a different job, but they got a new OC and a DC this past year, and they went from being a pretty good football team to 2-10. and 10. So you got to be careful making those decisions because if you make the wrong one, you can uh, end up going south pretty quickly. Yeah. Artie, you got any more questions for, for the man? Yeah, you know, my, my last question for you, and this is kind of out, outside of everything else, just kind of getting to college football in general. Um, you know, for the first time ever, we have some real parity, you know, in the in the top four. We've got a group of five team in the playoff for the for the first time ever in Cincinnati. 
who is your national champion? Who is, you know, looking at it, and we, we all know who, who was playing each other. Who do you think is going to win it all when it, when it's all said and done? Oh, man. I mean, if I had to actually put money on it, how can you not go Alabama? But, yeah, I mean, hell, we're doing a podcast, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some fun with it. Uh, give me the Bearcats, man. I, I like it. Call me crazy. Call me crazy, but I think this team, you know, that their corners are so good at, and they have pass rushers. And honestly, if you can cover people and you can rush the passer, you're you're a very good defense. And that's exactly what they do. Um, offensively, you know, I'm not as sold on them, but I think Ritter is a good enough player to where if the defense can keep it close, Ritter is a good enough player to where he can make the plays to win a game single-handedly. And, you know, at the end of the day, people can say Cincinnati, the AAC, they're not in the SEC, whatever, but they got at least – I think they have 26 seniors or 32 seniors. I don't remember the exact number. And uh, 10 of those guys are NFL prospects. You know, Ritter is a potential first-round pick. Ahmad Gardner is going to be a first-round pick. Their tight ends are draft picks. Uh, Majay Sanders, their defensive ends are draft pick. Kobe Bryant's going to get drafted. Darren Beavers, their linebacker, is going to get drafted. So it's not like this is some, like, team that's just lucky running some BS scheme that's going to line up and try to out-scheme you. Like, they just line up and play football, and they're damn good. So I don't know if they can beat Alabama, but I think if they get past Alabama, they got a shot. I mean, they almost beat Georgia last year in the in the bowl game that they played them in. So if they end up matching up with Georgia in the championship, they won't be scared at all. And obviously, if they beat Alabama, they'll have plenty of confidence. So uh, call me crazy, but give me the Bearcats to shock the world. I like it. I agree. Now, my last question, and kind of along those lines with with, um, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston all leaving for the Big 12, what's your take on on the – on, on the realignment in, in college football or in, in college sports as a whole and the teams that are coming or the schools that are coming to the American? I'm pretty bummed out about it, but I uh, – because I, I don't <laughs> want – I mean, to be honest, like who can get fired up for ECU North Texas or ECU Rice? Exactly. Like, I mean, that, exactly. It just sounds freaking miserable. Um, you know, at the end of the day – for me, it comes down to ECU's got to get back to winning football games because I remember the 2012 or 2013 season, excuse me. You know, ECU played like FAU on a Thursday night or something, and there were that, that was the that was the game Justin Hardy made that one handed catch that uh, that got overturned when it really was a catch. Yep. I was sitting right on the I was sitting right on the goal line. It was a catch. It was good. Yeah, that that was a touchdown. It was yeah, uh, it was, it was a, yeah. uh, and. Like, but I think like that game, like they're playing FAU and like on a Thursday night on Fox Sports, whatever. But it was a it was a great environment. Like it was an awesome game to be at. And I remember that game not because of who they were playing, but because of that team. So I think if if ECU gets back to winning games and you know just just consistently going to bowls, competing for conference championships, people will show up. It won't matter who they're playing. Yeah, when they play NC State or Wake Forest or whoever non-conference, it'll be a great, great game. It'll be an even better atmosphere. But, you know, if ECU wins games, if they're winning seven and nine games a year and mix in a 10-win season every now and then, which has been a struggle for the program, you know, people are going to show up, whether it's North Texas, UCF, Cincinnati, Tulane, whoever. Uh, you know, I've seen games against UAB where Dowdy Ficklin has forty-five to 48,000 people in it. So uh, it, it can happen. 
Uh, it's frustrating for ECU fans and for East Carolina to kind of really find a home in the American, see the league have success, and now you you almost have to kind of start over with some of these teams coming in. And and I'm not sold on some of the teams coming in. I like UTSA, Charlotte's whatever. Um, you know, there are a couple of them I like. I don't like Rice. I don't really like North Texas, but you know, it is what it is. Find a way to win games, and I think everybody will be happy. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, I get go ahead and uh, plug where, where everybody can find you and find your content, even though I'm pretty sure anybody listening to our podcast right. already knows. Already knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, yeah, hoistthecolors.net, uh, latest CCU news. Obviously, you know, much of what we just talked about, what you guys talked about earlier in the show or whatnot, um, you know, you can check that out on hoistthecolors.net. You know, we, we like to cover it, you know, as much as possible from an in-depth analytical perspective. We cover recruiting. We cover, uh, you know, basketball, baseball, et cetera. And, and obviously the Hoist of Colors podcast, you know, much like you guys like to get up there, talk, have some fun. And, um, and yeah, so anything, you know, if, if people haven't subscribed yet to VIP, I think we're running a 50% off special uh, next week leading into signing day. So, you know, check that out, hoistofcolors.net. But appreciate you guys. Uh, for supporting as always always i go uh you're, you're one of our favorite guys to talk to so it's always 100%. a pleasure to get you on mm-hmm. yeah i'm glad i could get on i had to get the uh the little one to sleep yeah how's that to, going how, right. how's being a dad it's good man it's just it's uh it's hectic it's you know i used to could just hop on the podcast or hop on you know like this like do an interview whenever and now it's really like everything has to be kind of uh you know, I, I kind of have to schedule it, but there's also a chance Slater, my son, might not abide by that schedule, and then I have to <laughs> drop what I'm doing. And, and you know, it's just much harder to get work done. But it's it's awesome, man. Every day is a blessing, yep. so uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Igo. Uh, it's always a pleasure. All right, guys. Thank appreciate you. it again. Appreciate you, Igo. See you. See you All soon. Right. Once again, that was Stephen Igo, friend of the podcast, three-time friend of the podcast. Uh, Artie, always a pleasure talking to him. What, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, Igo is always a pleasure to talk to. Anytime we can get Igo on the show, we love it. You know, he is the consummate pro, always has, you know, knowledge, knows what he's talking about, easy guy to talk to, fun guy to talk to. So uh, it's always a pleasure to have Stephen Igo on the show. All right. Now, Artie, we're going to start wrapping this thing up. Do you uh, do you have a walk the plank? Ooh. What would be my walk to plank? You know what? I try to think of one. I don't think I have one. Really? I do. I'm, I'm I'm sure there's plenty, but I just I'm drawing blanks right now. To be honest with you. Uh, all right. I'll I'll go ahead. And, I'll go ahead with mine. Um, so Miami just hired Mario Cristobal from Oregon. Yes, head coach of Oregon. Um, but in the meantime, while they were in the process of hiring him, he said, "Okay, yeah, I'll give you my answer. Let me think about it." Well, they basically told him you have until noon Monday to accept the job. They hadn't fired Manny Diaz yet. <laughs> so basically, Manny Diaz, former head coach of, of the Miami Hurricane, was sitting around waiting to get fired while this other guy that was going to take his job very publicly said, I'm going to um, let me think about it. And he had to wait until this guy made his decision. That is that is the worst running 
uh, of a business or of a program that I've ever heard of. How do you just say, okay, yeah, we're if if he does if this guy doesn't want to come play with us, then guess what? You're stuck with us, or we're gonna stay with you. But if he changes his mind, then then yeah, uh, you're gone. It's the whole thing of like if you were to ask a girl out to prom and she said, you know what? Uh, yeah, but if somebody else, if if the starting quarterback asked me out to prom, I'm gonna uh, it's gonna be a no. That's the same thing, <laughs> just on a much bigger stage. I mean, I, I, why did Manny Diaz just not walk out? Like, I don't know. I, I just I just want to start packing my shit and just walk walk the hell out. That's some real beta in- energy. <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, <laughs> like I'm not I'm not gonna sit and wait around to be fired if I no. know what the result's gonna be. No, yeah, no, that that's terrible. Y'all can y'all can kiss my ass on the way out the door. Yeah, seriously. So yeah, Miami walked the damn plank for telling Manny Diaz to hold up before we're making him walk the damn plank. <laughs> oh man! All right, Artie. Um, we got we do have one game this weekend. Oh yeah, we know what that is. The the best rivalry in college football, in my opinion. Um, I mean, just from the respect and everything else that goes on, we get to play Navy year in and year out. So it's always good to, good to see them on the national stage. Army Navy is this weekend. I believe it's in Philadelphia. It's always in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no, it's not this year. It's in, it's at MetLife stadium. Oh, they're not, they're not going to play in Philly. They, they, they move it around every year. I thought not, but it's, it's usually always in Philly. I no, thought. it's, it, it's usually like. They've played it in MetLife. They played it in uh, Lincoln Financial. They've played it in uh, in Baltimore. They've played it in Washington. They wow. they move it around. I could have um, swore I thought it was always in Lincoln Financial for some reason. Nope, it's in MetLife. Uh, Army is a seven and a half point favorite. The over under is thirty four and a half. I'm taking the over, and uh, I'm taking Army to win. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm personally a, a fan of Navy myself. If I had to root for one, I'm going to root for Navy over Army. I've got two uncles that served in the Navy. I got a grandfather that served in the Navy, so got personal ties there. But I do agree with you. I think Army is going to win. I think they're a better team. Um, usually, I only watch two Navy games a year. That's when they play ECU, and that's when they play Army. So this is always a fun game to watch. Love it. Always love the pageantry. I love you know. The, the 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 coat of arms the president's going to be there everything that surrounds the game i love it so um yeah give me give me that this weekend but give me army in a in a, in a win all right well already any final thoughts oh man go michigan go east carolina that's all i got to say all right well you heard it thank you for listening to us on the boneyard podcast the premier podcast of pirate nation uh, we, we thank all of y'all. Uh, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, make sure you follow us and, and subscribe to us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Um, you can find all of our content there. So, yeah, Artie, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Let's, let's do it. Love you, Pirate Nation. Deuce. Peace.